Hello, I'm Scott DuPont with another episode of Finance Your Movie, sharing tips and strategies to help you fund your independent feature, documentary, short film, or web series. Our mission is to help empower you to get your money to tell your story. I'm excited to be here today with Jamie Rauch, and I came across Jamie recently. I attended one of his seminars because I'm always about learning and soaking up as much information as I can from everybody. And his seminar was very informative. It's called How to Raise $2 million Plus for your, uh, for your Film. And uh, so, Jamie, welcome to the program. And apparently, you had a pretty good year. You raised a bunch of money for a couple yeah. of films you have in development. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, yeah, it's been it's been a really good year. Uh, the last three years have been good, you know, with some ups and downs. And as like I said in the webinar, um, but uh, yeah, it's been a really good year. R roughly, what would you say? Because uh, th these stories show proof of concept that other people are actually doing it. What's a ballpark of what you've raised just in the last two years for your independent films that are now? Uh, in development yeah uh so uh last year 2019 was 25 uh million and then in 2020 uh it would be one of them wasn't an independent film one was like a major one right like a big franchise film so that one doesn't count in that in that uh, category but that was 50 mil and we raised that in four hours um just because of the concept of the nature of the uh, the franchise, right? The fourth installment of a franchise. So it was a no brainer for a lot of investors, but on the independent side, um, having a film in a bidding war between two groups wanting to finance at 2 million uh, is a good position to be in. So uh, yeah, so another 2 million uh, so far this year. Wow, wow, congratulations on that. And really guys, if, you, if you're watching or listening to this, Jamie's really the person you wanna talk to for the upper end of the independent budgets because I, like I said, I'm, I always have full disclosure. I haven't done three, five, seven, 10 million, $25 million films, let alone a $50 million project. So Jamie is definitely a good, good guy you wanna uh, look to. So a little bit about your story. You, uh, you started out as an actor, I think in 94 and you're from a very small Canadian town. I think there's less than 5,000 people. So my question, because a lot of our audience is not necessarily in Hollywood, did you see that as an advantage, being a bigger fish in a small pond? Hmm. That's a really good question. I don't know if it was an advantage, but the, the, what it did for me was it made me dream bigger than maybe somebody who's just, uh, that's like normal, living in a big city where everything's bright and loud and you know what I mean? Like where... Uh, where you could like, if you wanted to go dream, you could just go downtown, you know, to the big city and, and, but being in a small town stuck in front of a TV most of the time, <laughs> cause it was nothing to do in our town. Like our, my town literally had the highest, um, uh, what is it? Uh, teen pregnancy rate in, uh, in Canada because wow. everyone was just bored. There's nothing to do. And the only thing that was running in the town was a brewery. So everyone was getting, drunk and making babies and so like there was a daycare in my high school um and a small town like that so it just so but that being said i didn't do any of that i i i, I focused on the whole like hey I, I see all this stuff on tv i want a piece of that 
And so it just made me dream. It put like a fuel on my fire, right? As uh, being, being trapped in a place like I can't wait to leave. I can't wait to leave. I can't wait to leave. You know, that was kind of uh, my mentality. Um, and then even in the midst of uh, not being able to leave, I just was just more determined than anyone else. And if I had an idea, I just did it. And so then started my own production company in the small town um, at the early age of 14. And yeah, and then we started getting hired out by big companies because they didn't want to send anyone there. We were already there. So they started hiring us to do uh, like their TV stuff. So by the age of 17, I mean, we were making, you know, for a 17 year old in a small town, we were making thousands of dollars already. So what, what, what was the genesis that started you to start your production company? Were you um, an actor trying to put yourself in front of the camera or did you say, Hey, I want to just producing so I can control it. Yeah. I didn't know the producing thing was like something cause I didn't understand what it was. Right. And when you're, when you're super young, you think the director is in charge of everything. Right. That's just, it's the, cause he gets all the, the he's the face essentially of, of the film. Right. So it's very rare. So even when I'd watch the Oscars and it would be like best picture and all these four guys would show up on the stage to, you know, get their Oscar. And I'm like, who are these guys? You know, like producers never, people don't know. If you ask any lay person out in the street, they're like, they don't know what producers do. You know what I mean? And even though it's their movie and it's like, they're, yeah. So um, with that, um, for me, it was as an actor, uh, you know, watched a couple films, inspired me. I'm like, we got to do this. And so I would get into director mode, but not realizing that I was producing too. Right. And, and it wasn't actually until I started making like legit films, uh, short films, uh, like like really good ones um uh in my early 20s is where i realized wait a minute i'm not the greatest director but man i i i because i kept getting distracted on the business side right and the organizational side and the in the in the development side of everything and so i was always wearing like i would i and so the the directing side for me always took a hit like the creative side always took a hit because I was just so focused on the business side. So then, yeah, that's when it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, okay, this is, uh, this is kind of my wheelhouse, especially when, when also when other people started approaching me. Hey, can you make this for me? Can you produce this? What do you think of this? You know, I started getting that kind of aspect uh, to me. That's how it kind of started. So one of, the, uh, one of the great takeaways I got from your seminar recently was uh, you stress the importance of researching your potential investors. And if you could share just a really quick story about that, um, that billionaire you approached and he was, you found out he was an auto enthusiast. Yeah. Yeah. So this was, this is a good one. Um, yeah. So understanding how investors think is so important um, because the, the number one uh, failure that I've noticed within uh, people trying to get someone to spend money on your art is that you're so artist focused that you have no idea what you're talking about when it comes to the business side and guys who have money have a lot of money for a reason. And so um, to try to get into that, you don't have to go and try to be like some billionaire in the finance kingdom or anything like that, but at least understand a little bit of what's going on in their brains or their hearts so that you can 
relate to them. And so with that story, um, we were going to approach this uh, billionaire and he used to, he used to have a whole film department, but he shut it down because he wanted to focus on uh, luxury exotic cars. And so with this film that we were making, um, it just happened that there was an agreement with Mercedes um, with a concept car that no one's ever seen. And that was going to actually get displayed in this film. Um, and of course it's like a luxury exotic uh, car. And so when we heard that, we're like, hey, this is great because now we can approach the billionaire with, uh, with the business opportunity, which is a big no brainer, but on to add the cherry on top, pull on his heartstrings a little bit, go, Hey, how about you? Cause he's been on TV. He's used to TV. So, um, uh, how about you, we, we give you a role and you can actually drive that car, uh, in the film. Right. So it's like taking something that pulls on his heartstrings and something that makes business sense and just putting them together. And I call it giving an investor a reason not to say no, you know, that's yeah. So that, yeah, that's what that was. Great, a great, great story. And I think a valuable lesson to uh, all the folks. So I know we don't, we, we only have a, a few minutes left and we don't have time to get into detail, but if you could just kind of just mention what you, uh, talking about how investors think, what you just mentioned, what are the three P's that you mentioned? If you can just rattle those off. Yeah, so important to understand how investors think. And the first things first is profit. So number one is the, the first P is profit. They, they think like profit and their money is always making money. And if we don't understand that uh, into a film, if you start saying to an investor, hey, invest this much money, right away their brain goes, well, how's my money going to be making money for the next two years, three years, four years? Like, what's, like where's the profit? You know, it's not, not even a, not even an issue of like how, what percentage they're making on the back end. If you tell them 20%, 25%, they won't even, I've noticed they don't say much. What they're concerned about is their money just sitting there doing nothing during the production side of things. And so profit is so, so, so important for that. That's the first thing that they think of. That's, that's why they're wealthy is because that's, they know what they're doing with that. And then number two, um, number two is their pride. Right. So, uh, like I said, this guy's pride with the car, right? There was something, or, or, or I had a guy say, Hey, do I get one of those chairs? Right. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, can, can I have like a, uh, one of those Arizona iced teas? I love these Arizona iced teas. I, I mean, I didn't think that would ever come up, but it's just like, yeah, of course you could have an Arizona iced tea. Of course you can have a chair, you know, stuff like this. And so there's this pride part that investors have to think, Hey, you want this to be cool on my bucket list. You know, especially for a film investor who's never invested in film before, right? So finding the pride, uh, how, you know, whereabouts that pride is and just pump that up, pump it up, pump it up so that uh, it pumps them up, right? And then same with credit, right? What's my credit going to be? You know, oh, you're executive producer and whatever, right? So, and then the third one, the third P is purpose uh, or cause, and so what's the purpose of the, like uh, a purpose driven, like what's the cause, you know, is it, you know, especially with like what's going on today, right? With, you know, Black Lives Matter, like that's a cause, right? That's a social thing. You know, does your movie and project actually have some sort of social like change message? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so this is their, this is like what I call the purpose or cause. And this can drive a lot of investors to be like, you know what? Okay. It makes business sense first. And they don't care about the pride thing. They actually pride themselves in the purpose. Okay. I can see that this actually needs to change, you know, like, uh, gorillas in the mist, right? Um, you know, they were on like the verge of extinction, silverback gorillas. Now they're just endangered. 
And that was a huge jump in our history of a movie actually having some sort of like change in our world. And so, yeah, these are the three P's that's uh, profit, pride, and uh, purpose. You, you mentioned bucket list uh, a minute ago, and I, I want to ask you a question that might segue into a bucket list story. So you mentioned um, six or seven different ways to raise money. And, and I forget, it was either number six or number seven. And this is actually contrary to my philosophy is you were talking about, even if you don't know somebody, you know somebody who knows somebody or you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody else. Yeah. And 99.7% of my investors over 20 plus years, I can honestly say, I know. They're okay. very close friends, family, or people in my network. Now, once in a while, there's someone outside of that, but you brought up a very interesting thing in this concept. You know somebody who knows someone, and you got to share this story real quick about the Canadian Jiffy Lube guy and the bucket list. Yeah, 100%. So I don't know this guy personally, right? So this is a huge thing for like, like you'll get to a point where your circle, like you said, they all have money. You just know them now because your circles changed over the years, right? But when you're first going to like trying to make these full features and, you know, you've made shorts, you want to make a feature, like, why you know like my, my whole philosophy is why like go big like just try do it properly you know so that you get the most exposure and all this other stuff and so this is where this comes into place so where a lot of uh filmmakers don't actually know someone with a lot of money and so this, that was my like bread and butter is like hey i don't know anybody uh, you know but hey but these people that i do know i know you in a conversation earlier you told me about this guy so i know that you know somebody hey, why don't you get them uh, to have a conversation with me, see if they'd be interested in investing in a film, I'll make it worth your while, you know? And so, um, yeah, this is so an example of this uh, guy who owned like a Jiffy Lube franchise, he owned the whole thing. Um, uh, so as I'm talking to my, my friend who knows him personally, who can just text him and call him, um, says, hey, he brings it up to me in a conversation. I know this guy, he said to me once on his bucket list, he would, he wouldn't, he throw a million dollars at a movie without even thinking about it. Cause it's something, because it's something that he's always wanted to do, but he just didn't know any money. Cause his, his reality is the auto business and oil business. So he's for so many years, 30 some odd years, or I don't know how long that's where his brain was. And investments is always real estate's always one of the first things. And then, and of course his, his realm, which is oil and, and auto. So now that he's sold it, Right now he can go, now I can do my bucket list. And so when my friend says, I know this guy, it's like, Hey, let's get a conversation. Let's go, let's go fly and meet him. Right. Great, great story. And it, it yeah. just goes to show you never know unless you ask. Exactly. And you kind of expanded that. You never know unless you ask your friends who they might know. So exactly. great, yeah. great tip. Thanks for sharing that. Um, mm -hmm. I want to thank you very much for coming on Jamie, but, but, uh, Two, two things. Um, let us know the best way that our audience can connect with you, find out more about your seminars. But first, I would love to, for you to share um, st statistics of what some of the problems are with people in the film business and what you're doing to help other people uh, in their emotional and health and well-being states. Yeah, 100%. So about seven years ago, um, well, it was longer than that. I quit doing film corporately, like working for like shows like Smallville, Reaper, 
uh, just working on a bunch of MOWs and stuff. I quit that full time to start raising my family because uh, I have four kids now uh, since I quit back in 2008. Um, uh, doing it corporately where I'm just like, I'm just, uh, just working as a first AD, you know, all that stuff. And, um, uh, and so from there, uh, uh, I watched all my friends, uh, mainly divorce divorce was a huge thing. And I was watching them getting divorced and, uh, and the, the statistic that I came across, so there was a 98% divorce rate in, in the film industry. So it's not just wow. like the celebrities, you know, we all see the celebrities and their stories and, you know, stuff of that. No, but behind the scenes, the crew people and like, and then we had one guy, like I said, that, that, uh, went to 12 funerals in one summer, uh, in, in the one union, just one union. Uh, I can't remember which union, if it, what it was, but, and nine of them were suicide related. You know, and, and so I saw that this, this, uh, pain, you know, we had this glamour of Hollywood and glamour of the film industry, but then I saw this dark side, uh, of it. And, and I wanted to be a part of the change and part of help. I want to help it. Cause I love the industry so much that I wanted to see it actually thrive. And so, yeah. And so that's when I decided that like, you know what, I'm going to be a, a life coach and I want to try to help these people. And so I've been doing that for about seven years now. Um, helping uh, the people in the film business. Um, and I've seen some of the darkest stuff and, and been a part of some stop suicides, you know, having to trick people to meet me somewhere so that they can actually get help. And, you know, just the craziest stories, stuff like that, getting their phone traced to see where they are. I'm serious. Like, because they've said they're, they're done. Right. You know, and, and it's like, okay, what are we, what are we supposed to do? This is a life. I don't care who you are. I've had people criticize me. Oh yeah, they're on drugs. It's their own decision. Da, da, da. That's not cool. The, the, the reason why they're on drugs is for a reason. And it wasn't because they just made a choice and said, you know what? I'm going to do this because I'm just, you know, weak or whatever. Right? No, it started in the heart. There's something happened in their heart first to connect them to make this decisions that leads down a rabbit trail. That's going to harm their life and maybe lives around them. So I want to get to the heart of these people and, and, uh, and I've been there for seven years and it's been great. We have uh, underground gatherings across Canada in LA, um, to, to, for them to gather, to help, um, just a community. Um, and then we have programs to be, uh, have, uh, we call them onset emissaries. They can go on, they, they're on movie sets and they're actually there to help them help anyone on, on a movie set during the time, help them, uh, you know, mentally and emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically, whatever they need, they're there to help to help them so that's that's very very real because it's a very unusual business yeah where you sometimes work 16 17 hour days I yeah. mean, that's, that's not every day but certain no. certainly we have some long days like that yeah and sometimes you're living in a hotel room away from your family for three four months so it's a crazy business so i applaud what you're doing um and just let, let's wrap out with the best way to uh, connect with you uh, best way to connect with me, to be honest, is uh, through Instagram. That's I'm probably the most busy on Instagram, and and uh, that's a great way to connect. Uh, the art of filmmaking is uh, is my uh, Instagram, uh, or or James uh, or Jamie D. Rao. Uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me. And then I do have a, a like I said, I have a, another a webinar coming up June fifteenth, the same one. Excellent. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. I really appreciate your words of wisdom. Tune in next week, or for more info, visit financeyourmovie.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, if you have a story to tell the world, never give up on your dreams.